Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1326, entitled Mila, the Keiju Killer. Our podcast title is Podstar Hunter. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are in summer. <laughs> yes, it's announced itself. It's sweltering. <laughs> yes, the summer the summer glow has passed by us over the last serene river. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Monster Hunter, that's one of the yeah. things we're going to talk about today, mm-hmm. uh, which actually was... Um, Released over in the States on December the 18th. <laughs> I was just thinking, and they didn't catch Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, would have been good. Would have been good. And But they'd actually scheduled that for September um, 2020. Mm-hmm. And then they were delaying it all again, but um, they still ended up dumping it now, basically. I guess they just went, look, let's just release the thing and be done with it, I guess. Well, there was a bit of a controversy with its release in China, and that was one of the big marketplaces they were aiming for, and so they've dropped it in now. So what we've got here is another video game movie adaptation, and Monster Hunter is not to be confused with a series of fantasy horror books written by Larry Correa, but definitely, definitely to be confused with Capcom's original game of the same name, mm-hmm. which was released for PlayStation 2 back in 2004 and hasn't looked back since while <laughs> battling the Diablos in every game. It's mm. it's the company's second bestseller after Resident Evil, so it's no wonder the man behind that very large movie franchise took a crack at this one. Mm-hmm and actually has been developing it since 2012. So, okay, it's Paul W.S. Anderson, who's directed four of the six Resident Evil films, writing and directing this. He also happens to be married to the franchise's star, Mila Jovovich. His other films include more video game adaptations, including 1995's Mortal Kombat. Oh, I remember that film. Yeah, okay. (laughs) And the 2008 Automobile Car Rage movie, or should I call it Carnage, Death Race. And he had something to do with the sequel to that Death Race too. These are both reboots, of course. And he also did the apocalyptic Roman historical movie Pompeii, as well as the franchise crossover Alien vs. Predator. Right, gotcha. And the space horror flick Event Horizon. Oh, that haunts me to this day. Saw that as a young lass. Mm. And, um, yeah, that's one of the ones that stuck in my mind as traumatising me <laughs> at a young age. So I didn't realise that was he was also the same guy as Resident Evil. So, 
Interesting. He likes to repeat himself. So <laughs> Pandorum. Pandorum is another space horror film that ah. he had a, a hand in as a producer. So he's got a niche. We, mm. He knows what he likes. Um, I respect that. I feel like he's certainly got a handle on the whole action video game kind of vibe. He also did the 2011 Three Musketeers counterfactual romp, the sort of steampunky one with Luke Evans and Mads Mikkelsen and Orlando Bloom and Christoph Waltz. Yes, they got very into doing a lot of those rompy period things around that time, didn't they? Yeah, but this one had airships in it too, so. A dirigible. Yes, that was with with Milo playing the role of Milady de Winter. Mm -hmm. So Monster Hunter, this one is exactly what it says on the tin completely and entirely. <laughs> so uh, the Capcom people, they've kind of established this movie's setting. If you follow the games, it's taking place after the events of Monster Hunter World. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it actually incorporates incorporates several different facets from a, a few of the different games. Right. So, so they sort of munged it together. So Captain Natalie Artemis, played by Mila, and her squad of U.S. Army Rangers are travelling through an unnamed desert. Actually, it's in South Africa in real life, mm-hmm. uh, trying to find the other half of their unit, which has disappeared in a massive storm. Mm-hmm. Before you can dial open a stargate, they are caught mm-hmm. in the same storm and dumped mm-hmm. unceremoniously into a new and deadly world where the, the Daikaiju Great monsters are known as Diablos, devils. And, you know, right from the start, these soldiers are in for a world of hurt. <laughs> That's what we came for, right? Yes, which, which doesn't stop Mila from trying to raise their morale by singing a jaunty little army song. <laughs> oh, good effort, good effort. I, I wish I actually had that um, to play today on the show, but I don't because it's all, all too new and mm. um, she doesn't. They don't put it onto the soundtrack, although Mila does have quite a discography of her own. Hmm. Now, we've seen Mila everywhere, you know, I mean, Alice in Resident Evil. We're all going to die down here. Uh, the, the vampire movie Ultraviolet. She was Lee. Yeah, remember that one? Lila Dallas Multipass in The Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. Uh, she played Joan of Arc. Uh, I think it, Fifth Element, Joan of Arc. She ended up marrying with Besson. Oh, yeah. so she has a kind of amused director thing going on. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, she was um, a Vivian uh, Nimue in the, the Blood Queen in the recent Hellboy mm. movie, mm-hmm. which didn't star Ron Perlman. Yes, it was David Harbour. Mm. And she is also played the voice of Captain Artemis in Monster Hunter World, Iceborne. Oh, okay. So, you know, that's one of the expansion packs that they had for it. Mm-hmm. Um, she's perfectly cast in this, further along the humanity scale okay. than Alice yeah. in Resident Evil. And, you know, she could she could play this role with her eyes shut, really. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you could say, oh, you know, it's a cut and paste, it's the same role, same stuff. But if they're enjoying it and it's an adaptation they want to do and she, you know, why not? And she still looks apart when she plays the action hero. Mm. She does the stunt choreography perfectly well, you know. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure if she would make a, a, a good army ranger, but I don't. I don't know, you know. Well, yeah. Yeah. 
she certainly goes through hell in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm beginning to think that she actually is she's vying for the title of science fiction and fantasy's leading lady because she's mm-hmm. just in so many of these things now. Yeah. Uh so yeah, the the story itself, as I said, very simple. Uh Tony Jar plays one of the indigenous hunters in the New World. Now he's one of the many skilled warriors that fight giant monsters. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um Thai martial artist, uh actor, action choreographer, stuntman, director, former Buddhist monk. Oh, and what a resume. <laughs> and we've seen him in uh, at least three of the Ong Buck movies where he plays a, a Mai Tai warrior. And he is a mighty warrior too. <laughs> <laughs> he was also in Master Z, the Ip Man legacy and that interminable series. Got it. Okay, yes. Yep, yep. So he's well-versed in um, sort of a lot of the Asian cinema and, and martial arts films. And broken out into Hollywood as well with Furious 7. Oh. And I'm sure one of the Xander Cage movies, the Triple X movies. Yeah, is that? nice. Yeah. But Real action guy. Oddly enough, though, he was a stunt double in um, Mortal Kombat Annihilation in 1997, which wasn't directed by W.S. Anderson. Yeah. I, I almost called him Wes Anderson there. but I sort of <laughs> his, his name is very adjacent to a couple of other directors that we know and love. Uh, it also stars in the movie. Oh, and I should say that Tony Jaa, and Miller have great chemistry in this in a way that reminds me of, and nobody else is going to remember this, uh, a movie called Robinson Crusoe on Mars. <laughs> it's a real Rob Jan yeah. <laughs> back catalogue yeah. um, mentioned there. Well, you know, where you've got like a, a Robinson Crusoe in space and he's mm. got a, a man Friday who's an alien, you know. It's got a yeah, little, yeah. little of that sort of going to it, I thought. And I actually thought those were the best parts of the film mm-hmm. early on until we get to the actual monster fights, which are. Oh, okay. Can I say I'm assuming the action's got to be pretty good here because we've got a lot of people who know their chops when it comes to fighting and action sequences and so on. Mm. I'll just run through a couple of the other uh, cast members. Megan Good, um, we saw her in Shazam, the DC Comics movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diego Bonetta, who was in Terminator Dark Fate. Um, we've also got uh, an actor called um, Joshua Josh Hellman, who's an Australian television and film actor. And you may know him playing the young William Stryker in X-Men Days of Future Past and X-Men Apocalypse. Oh, yes. Yep. He was also in Fury Road as well too. Oh, cool. Uh, we also have a... Um, a Japanese actress, Hirona Yamazaki, who is quite well known over in Japan. She was in Cayman Rider Zero One, the movie. <laughs> and and she's like under the wing of Toho Entertainment, who are one of the um, distributors of this film. So you can see why she's in there. And and she actually sort of gets those sorts of little little on screen bits, like they'll just flash over to her and you can yeah, see. Right. Yeah, you can see the fans in, in Japan are going, oh, there she is. And Let's get some of the stars in there. And speaking of that old monster and monster hunter himself, Ron Perlman. Ah. Oh. <laughs> wearing an outrageous costume but no real special effects makeup in this one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and he has so often played the monster and also played the monster hunter that Mm. It just spirals off into legend, really. 
Yeah. Uh, and he's one of the, um, uh, the indigenous inhabitants of the New World who actually speaks English. <laughs> How handy. <laughs> oh, there is actually a, a good backstory to that, and I, okay. I, I salute that. This movie actually all hangs together, strangely enough, for this kind of film. Uh, all right, so let's have a – after we had, we've just had a look at the cast there, the track I want to play now is from the original motion picture soundtrack of Monster Hunter. It's by Paul Haslinger, and it's Military Engagement. Hi, I'm Dee Wallace. Over, done with, gone. Triple R. And it sounds like there are several people in that one who probably are. <laughs> <laughs> Military engagement, Paul Haslinger from Monster Hunters soundtrack. That's a movie we're talking about today on Zero G. I am Rob mm. Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are on Free Triple R FM. Now, Haslinger is an Austrian musician and composer, and although he works in uh, L.A. and California, he was notable for working in Tangerine Dream back in the 80s. Oh. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of um, German electronic music in his background. Didn't mm-hmm. work for them for five years. It also worked on soundtracks for genre films like Miracle Mile, Near Dark, and uh, Canyon Dreams, as well as Death Race and The Free Musketeers for Paul W.S. Anderson. Uh, and Underworld, Rise of the Lycans, which reminds me of the the sort of roles that uh, Mila's been playing as well. Mm. And he did a Resident Evil soundtrack to uh, the final chapter. Okay, so, uh, oh, he's also on the, um, the Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead, as well as video games Rainbow Six Vegas, Wolverine and Need for Speed. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yes, yeah, so he the, of, of all the people working on this, he's just a, yet another person who seems to know what a, how to do, score a, both a movie and a video game and a combination of both. Yeah, yeah, get the right strike the right tone. Yeah, and it felt very kinetic there, which is a mm-hmm. word a word Mila uses in her role as Army Ranger Captain Artemis. She says it's going to get kinetic. <laughs> and it does. <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> um, look, yeah, what it says on the tin, it is a very tightly written monster movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually found some of the sections where where uh, Captain Artemis and company are getting to know the world mm-hmm. and the world is getting to know them. I found those really entertaining. Oh, good. Mm. And totally improbable in terms of survivability. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because it is that kind of place. The the monsters are big, mm. mean, ugly, lethal, and often fast with their own sort of in-game weaknesses, which I don't know exactly how far they've gone to incorporate that, but I know that they didn't make any monsters up for this. Mm, okay, yeah. So if you're familiar with the Monster Hunter game, you'll see some of your old favourites. <laughs> Always good. How's the – you mentioned some of the actors that we have in here, and, I mean, a lot of them sound like they've got action shops, so we've got a lot of those good scenes. But how are we for character development? That's what can sometimes be a bit thin on the ground in these things. Well, the main character development, because some of the characters, let's just say they don't have legs. <laughs> I take your meaning. Yeah. Okay. Meaning. So let's not let's not get to know them too well. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Mila and um, and Tony Jaa, 
they're the 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 main focus of the character development, and that's fine. You know, yeah, it yeah. is it is what it is. It's quite touching in places, and it's played for laughs at times too. And and Mila can Mila can crack a smile with the best of them, or 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 at least an army grimace. <laughs> Rangers lead the way, ho! Oh. <laughs> and um, also, of course, uh, Ron Perlman. Mm. Obviously, when you put him into a room or on the deck of a ship or anywhere at all, you know he's going to steal the scene, and so he does. <laughs> so you know there isn't a whole lot of um, more complicated character development that you need for this. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there is a <laughs> a great character called the Meowscular Chef. <laughs> <laughs> Who I actually would have loved to have seen more of, and and the funny thing was, um, I'll tell you, it's a sentient cat. Oh, well, that that's got you right there, hasn't it? Got me right there. And and there are some giant arachnids in this movie too. Oh. And I mention that because I was watching um, the new uh, Amazon Prime animated series Star Trek Lower Decks, mm-hmm. which sends up yep. sort of a next generation era Star Trek. And the, the pilot episode had the ship's doctor is a sentient cat mm-hmm. and there were giant spiders in the first episode. <laughs> so you've, you've come up, it's your theme for the week. <laughs> I tell you, it was my theme for the day because I watched them on the same day. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, so there's just a, a weird little synthesis, a, a bit of serendipity in the world. <laughs> okay, so there was another movie that um, Monster Hunter reminded me of. Of course, it reminds me of segments of uh, Legendary's MonsterVerse, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Godzilla, the King Kong, yeah. and so on. Um, but it also reminded me a little bit of a film called Reign of Fire. Oh, is that Dragons? That's Dragons, yeah. And, and in that because their world uh, was basically um, an earth that had been overtaken by a dragon apocalypse, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you can imagine that. Um, And they didn't have as much uh, modern military gear left as as they would have wanted to. Um, Sure. (laughs) And I kind of missed major set-piece battles between you know, the modern military and these monsters. Let mm. me let me tell you that that does happen in this film. Okay. <laughs> uh, and it's quite spectacular, uh, thrilling even. Mm. And I, I still wonder, though, you know, I mean, this is just a geek thing. I, I do wonder, you know, modern military weapons, I mean, these guys have got Gatling guns and RPGs and um, – uh, caliber 50 machine guns and stuff, and you'd think that they actually would do more harm to the monsters. But since magic does play a part in this universe, and these monsters mm. are really too big anyway, and they do some, yeah. they do some things that are that are not really possible. Right, the monsters do, or the the monsters, the house. yeah, right, the monsters. Okay. You know, I, I mean, I'm not talking about Mila being a superhero. She does that always. <laughs> <laughs> it's in her DNA, you know. So look. I really enjoyed this film for what it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I went in, I wanted, it's called Monster Hunter. I wanted a big, not entirely brainless film. Uh, yeah. I was surprised at some of the the character interaction that was in there. Uh, I love the production design. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's um, part, 
ooh, I can't call it steampunk, but I'll call it clockwork punk. Okay. You know, because so, there's these sorts of elements in it. And the costumes are great too, and, and they've really gone to – because I, 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 I checked out some of the Monster Hunter game bits, and the uh, the costumes in it are very reminiscent of that. And and some of the, uh, the the weapons that they introduced too. So they've they've tried to cleave to that. You know, I mean, they are <clears throat> in a way they're more respectful of their source material than some other A grade movies. Well, that's it. I guess maybe that's the thing. It's a bit of a passion project or something they wanted to make, and they want to make it for fans of the game and stay pretty true to the core. And it sounds like they achieved what they set out to do, which is make a nice adaptation, a fun action adaptation of that game. So I'm not that familiar with, I'm not familiar with that game. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I saw the trailer for this and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's just going to meet the needs that it sets out to meet. So I'm happy to hear that that was the case. I was also glad to see it at the cinema. So it's the third, Mm -hmm. the third cinema movie that I've seen since it's all, you know, popped back into real life uh, Mm. because it is a a movie that, that benefits from having a big screen. Yeah. To play it all out upon. Does it all make a whole lot of sense? I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I but I will say that it's it is a very fast paced and kinetic film. So you mm. can, so you can get away with a few things there. Yeah. But but I'll okay. also mention that it is obviously set up to be a franchise. Mm. So, you know, you get to that last reel and you're sort of saying what what's left for them to do? Oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. Ah, uh, I can see this is going to have a sequel built into the end. Right. Yeah. So do you reckon they'll get there in terms of? I mean, there's been a lot of things set up for a sequel that never happened. Well, at the start of the the talk about this, I did mention that there was a, a controversy about when the film opened in China. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to go into that because it's kind of complicated. But basically, um, Tony Jaa's character says something that that was perceived as an insult in China. Right. Okay. And there are real complications to all of that, and so that may steal a chunk of the box office on top of the pandemic, anyway. Yeah. So it might not get us a, a chance to run for a second go. On the other hand, people said that about the Resident Evil series too. And then it still kicked on long, you know, yeah. long into the night. So, And many people would say long past its use-by date. <laughs> ah, damn it, there's a phrase I, I don't want to hear again and I used it myself, many people say. <laughs> um, but, no, I think there's always an audience for these kind of films. So who knows, maybe it will. And I was that audience on that day. Nice. So it's Monster Hunter, it's Paul W.S. Anderson's new franchise wannabe film with Mila Jovovic playing a U.S. Army Ranger. All right, so as I said, she has quite a bit of a discography herself. She contributed to a 2001 album called uh, Hollywood Goes Wild, and she worked with a, a group called Plastic Has Memory in this. Her track is called On The Hill. (laughs) <laughs> which is very, very, very appropriate to Monster Hunter. And back in the day, the um, a portion of the proceeds went to Wildlife Waste Station, which was, um, uh, you know, an, an animal charity. So, you know, good honour for that. Maybe maybe to pre-atone for all the beasties that she knocks off <laughs> in Monster Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go with Mila Jovovic and Plastic Has Memory with On the Hill. 
Hi, I'm Lindsay Morgan. And I'm Reg Morgan. Uh, no, we're actually Colin and Cameron Cairns. Writers, directors of 100 Bloody Acres, and you're listening to Zero G. They're not psycho killers. They're just community radio broadcasters. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Mila Jovovich there with Plastic Has Memory from the Hollywood Goes Wild project from 2001. She can kill monsters, she can kill zombies. Is there anything she can't do? I know, quite a nice uh, little track, that one. Very soothing. Hmm. All right, uh, to a a sadder note in the Zero-G universe. Yes, so I thought um, we would do next. Uh, Rob, you suggested this in in memoriam to farewell Julie Strain, Uh, and so I didn't know very much about her, so I really enjoyed uh, learning a bit more about her, to be honest, and I thought it was was really nice. We're going to give her a little bit of a shout-out and talk a bit about her career. So she's one of the what I'm going to say, OG butt-kicking Sheilas, as you would say, Rob. (laughs) Uh, So she was a model and an actress, and we'll talk a little bit more about her career in a minute. But she sadly died this year on January the 10th, uh, and she'd been battling dementia for some time. So there was actually a false report of her death about a year ago that was accidentally released through a pure mistake. It wasn't anything malicious um, by her, by a company that had worked with her, production company that had worked with her. But sadly, this time uh, she had actually passed on. So she was only 58 years old. Mm. Um, but in that time that she was with us, boy, did she uh, make a decent contribution and really kind of she has a lot of beloved fans out there, people who really loved her and her work. So she's a very prolific actress. So she worked through largely the 1990s and 2000s is kind of the peak of her time. And she was sort of dubbed a bit of the queen of the B movies. And so I've got a great quote here. And I think there's a couple of quotes here where she seems super self-aware of her role and that she just really loved what she was doing. So she says, I am the chick that they call when they want a gun-toting, Amazon bitch, Barbarella, merciless bitch with a machine gun. Vampires, witches, sorceresses, double agents. That's what I do and I like to headbutt people in fights and kick them and spit on them and bust them in the balls. Uh, and from what I can tell, she looked the part too. She was very fit and athletic um, and she was over six foot. So she was about 185 centimetres and she'd done bodybuilding. She was very into physical training and her physicality was a lot of what, um, you know, really made her appealing. Like a lot of people wanted to work with her, comic book artists and so on. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. So in terms of personal life, she was married for a time to Kevin Eastman. Uh, They were married for roughly 10 years and they did have a son. So he, Eastman, co-created Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and he was also the editor of Heavy Metal Magazine, which had a big role, um, very strong relationship between Julie Strain and Heavy Metal Magazine and fans of that publication and so on. So sadly, in terms of her personal life, she actually had amnesia or retrograde amnesia about uh, that she had a head injury uh, in her 20s. So she fell from a horse and she had a very severe head injury and actually couldn't remember a lot of her youth before that, which I thought was incredibly interesting and very sad because there is, you know, I mean, I can't say here, we don't know, but they do say that it, it did contribute to her death later and that the dementia that she suffered as well, which I think is very, very sad. Mm. Yeah. I, I remember her from the, the Heavy Metal 2000 movie, uh, which um, had uh, Julie Strain doing 
the voice of the um, the lead character, uh, Michael Ironside, got in there as a baddie, and um, Billy Idol as well was. Yeah, so <laughs> that was that. one of her sort of um, big big roles, and so she was really the influence and inspiration for the character as well. So that was Heavy Metal two thousand. Uh, I think it was also known as Heavy Metal F A K K, and um, it, there was a F A K K. Two <laughs> squared. Oh, squared. Okay. So, I mean, this is the thing. This is why I need you because I know you're much more familiar with um, Julie Strain's work as well. But, yeah, so she was a voice in that and very much an inspiration for the character there. And she got an action figure out of that one too. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess let's dig into a little bit about her career. So she was originally a um, Playboy model. She was in Penthouse. This is the early 1990s. So that was a bit of a platform for her to get a leg up into the work that she would continue to go on and do. So she turned that into a career in comic books and films and working with comic book artists and heavy metal magazine. In her time, over 18 years, she worked in films and she was part of over 100 films. So that's quite a doozy there. And these are primarily silly B-movies, but she loved them and that was what she wanted to work in. That's what she enjoyed. She really embraced that role. So she was talking a bit about her filmography in the late 90s and how many films she'd done. And and she said, this is another funny quote from her, which I think shows kind of, you know, she's very tongue-in-cheek lady. She says, that doesn't count the uh, buck naked line dancing videos or naked golf or anything. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't have to do those anymore to get my rent paid. So she um, had done a lot of these B-movies in her career and sort of moved through from maybe more adult industry and sort of spent a bit of time with a foot in in some more adult content as well as working on these films as well. And I think a big part of what I enjoyed finding out about her was that she was just a fan as well. She really liked comics. She liked science fiction. She loved genre movies. That's why she enjoyed being in those action flicks. And she did have some parts in, you know, more mainstream Hollywood films. She was in uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3, Naked Gun 33 and a third, The Final Insult and a few others. Um, But then most of her films she was doing those fun kind of action uh, romps. And then, of course, she did a lot of work with Heavy Metal Magazine and also other artists such as, uh, let's see if I can say her name, Olivia de Berardinus. So she's a pinup artist been working for many decades and they collaborated a lot together and if, so and if you just say boris all the genre fans will know who that is and julie bell as well in fact julie strain i think was probably almost built like the iconic model for any of boris's paintings yeah so she very much had this strong like warrior woman physique and very much kind of that was uh, you know, that was the way she was kind of a muse and inspiration for a lot of these artists. And so, yeah, and then, of course, as you mentioned before, Heavy Metal 2000 being sort of a core role in that, and she was regular on the convention circuit and San Diego Comic-Con and so on, meeting with fans and just really getting involved in, in that kind of thing, which I think is amazing. Um, and she has a biography written, so this was kind of her catchphrase apparently, was six foot one and worth the climb. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, from the sounds of it was just someone who really enjoyed, was had a lot of passion for what she was doing, starting a lot of fun stuff. And, yeah, it just kind of sounded like a bit of a kick-ass um, 
kick-ass actress. So are there any other of her films or work that you're that familiar with, Rob? Because she is very iconic looking. Like I was looking up some of her images and the images she's inspired and I was like, yeah, that's that's such a pinnacle of that style and that era and, and all of that kind of thing. What's your kind of memories of, of her work? Well, apart from that um, Heavy Metal 2000 film where she is, of course, animated, Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's the voice, but, you know, she's a bit of inspiration for yeah. what that character looks like. Um, every time she just appeared in a film, like, mm. you go, oh, it's Julie Strain. Yeah, you know, you, very recognisable, you, such a present. You usually weren't in any doubt of that. Uh, <laughs> Zombiegeddon, she was in. Oh! <laughs> uh, she had a cameo, and, and often it's just cameos, but How to Make a Monster, which was a pretty good little film. Uh, and Red Line in 1996, which was um, more of an action film, more than, okay, trashy genre. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, it was directed by John uh, Sogren and it had um, Dom DeLuise in it and uh, Michael Madsen mm-hmm. and Jan Michael Vincent, who's a face from the 80s and, wow. and so on, and, and even Corey Feldman. Oh, yeah. I know that name. Yeah, being a very lost boy in that one indeed. So, yeah, that's um, that's more of a car sort of uh, heist movie, but uh, worth checking out because it's a little bit weird as well. And Julie Strain plays a character called Crystal in that. Yeah, so some of the ones that I've seen her in were just like, oh, there she is over in the back. Yeah. Or then she comes running up and she kills somebody. and. <laughs> Yeah, I think she was kind of popping up a lot in like action, some action, sort of sci-fi, fantasy kind of stuff and comedy as well. And yeah. um, she was, I mean, one of the TV things that she was really involved in in the 90s was something that Playboy magazine kind of was responsible for, something called Sex Court, which I think was quite big. It's kind of a Judge Judy, but all of the plaintiffs, it's some kind of funny adultery scenario or something like that, and she plays the judge and <laughs> tells them what, what they have to um, do. And I'm sure she had a lot of fun with that. So I think that's one of the things that she's quite well known for from the 90s as so, well. So. <laughs> so Judge Julie, huh? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Judge Julie with a twist, so to speak. The quality of mercy is not strained. Um, but, yeah, so very sad to hear of her passing. That's Julie Strain, and she, of course, was a um, big player in B-movies, had a lot of fun, a long and illustrious um, yeah. career. And so I think she'll be very missed. There's a lot of people that really love her her stuff and, and the role she's played. So, yeah. Um, we've watched a few episodes of WandaVision now and noting, noting the presence of Catherine Hahn, who plays Agnes. Mm-hmm. And she's like the, uh, the, the the busybody next door. Nosy neighbour. Mm-hmm. We've seen her in uh, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy and The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. That's the, uh, the remake in 2013. And also in Bad Moms. I can never say that word, Bad Moms. I think you've really got to lean into the accent, but she's, she's so funny. I think she's a really great comedic actress and I really enjoy anything she's in. And I recall her from Tomorrowland Mm -hmm. and Captain Fantastic in 2016, but I also know her voice from, from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse where she played a female version of Dr. Octopus called Dr. Octavia. Ah, Yeah. I didn't know that was her. That's cool. Yeah. So, So a few of those sorts of things. Uh, and I'm wondering, along with a lot of comic book fans, if her name, Agnes, mm. is going to end up being short for Agatha Harkness, who is another sorceress 
in the MCU and, well, not in the MCU yet, but in the comic books. Yes, have heard the the buzz about that and mm. her character and so on and some theories. I love the uh, the third episode of WandaVision with the um, 1970s colour setting. It was straight out of mm-hmm. the Brady Bunch with its astroturf lawns and its um, its cinema backdrop and uh, television studio Screen. backdrop. Yeah. Screen wipes and so on. Yeah, yeah. it was per- it was so well done, and just the tone. And Olsen is just a delight. She is so fun to watch in any decade. And Paul Bettany is proving so versatile. <laughs> I'm so glad he's got a bit more to do. Like to be like you know, great as Jarvis, great as Vision, but he's getting a bit more meat and things to play with. And and I think that's so fun. I think he's a I think he's a delight as well. They're both just bloody delights. Yeah, well. Let's have a short track here from Wonder Woman, Women. Uh, so I used our title from the, from the episode that we did, which was uh, Wonder Women. Um, so Yakety Yak, which plays a crucial part in one of the episodes, a uh, song written by Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller for the Coasters back in 1958. So they're very good at their musical drops in this WandaVision series because it is all retro, or is it? Mm. And this is The Coasters with Yakety Yak, just a a hit novelty song. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 Triple R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 ha, with three exclamation marks. That could almost be the theme song for Zero G. (laughs) Back from 1958 with the coasters there. Spending a week as number one on the top 100 pop list. So, yeah, not exactly a one-hit wonder because the coasters were pretty popular as well. Very popular, actually. Uh, And that obviously riffs off the fact that WandaVision on Disney Plus is actually paying homage and building into its plot line Mm. retro looks at sitcoms from the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and so on Mm -hmm. as they go along. And I actually think it's a very finely judged thing that they're doing because, look, we know it's all a put-up job, but we -hmm. we don't exactly know how, although that is beginning to show shape and form as we go along. And and I'm loving the little commercials that they're doing. We've We've had one for um, a Stark Industries toaster, mm-hmm. which is very, very relevant to uh, Wanda and her brother Pietro, to their origin story in the MCU in Age of Ultron. Uh, they told us that they were trapped in a building, a collapsed building in Sokovia, which had been shelled by Stark munitions. They weren't fired by Tony Stark, but the whoever was firing at them used those those things that weaponry yeah yeah and it it uh there was a stark bomb in the rubble that was going to kill them so this industry's toaster which has a red flashing light on it and Mm -hmm. it sounds very ominous that's a sort of a call back to that we had a a strucker watch from hydra Mm -hmm. and hydra soak commercial (laughs) And it's all very ominous. And it's and as we know, we're getting these bleed-throughs from reality, colour bleed-throughs in the black and white episodes, uh, little little discontinuity breaks. And it looks, from what we've seen so far, that Wanda is trying to tamp those down 
using her powers to roll out these inconsistencies in the reality that she's got, which she seems to be either self-imposing or else Mm. having imposed upon her or perhaps both. I'm sure we shall find out. Mm. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) And since Emma Caulfield plays a role in it, I'm betting it's all going to have something to do with vengeance demons and bunnies. And wishes and, yeah, bunnies. (laughs) Which which would actually actually be a perfect place to drop in a track of, um, you know, from uh, Once More We're Feeling. But never, always, always the time. Never need an excuse to play something for once more with feeling, in my opinion. No, but instead we're going to go with um, a track, "Scary Monsters and Super Creeps," and this is this is obviously a Bowie cover. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was kind of an interesting laid back one. This one, so it's by Rachel Garnier's, and I thought these are the kind of monsters that Julie Strayed used to slay all the time on screen. Or indeed, B at times, as in B movie queen, and also the ones that uh, Mila Jovovich deals with pretty much on a daily basis in practically every film that we've ever seen her in. So, you know, here we are going into 2021, and it's sad to report on these new deaths of people who've meant a lot to us in the genre. Yeah. Uh, it was a very bad year for every single possible thing in terms of celebrity deaths as well as everybody else with the pandemic. Yeah, the world, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we're just recovering a bit here on Zero G at the moment. Well, that's about it for Zero G. Uh, okay, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And thank you to my partner, Gail. And my partner, Carl. And to our podcaster, Kayla, as well. Thank you, Kayla. As well as to Zero G for managing to still roll on throughout the pandemic in its own unique fashion. Indispensable radio, I think. And with the ground control support of a great team at Triple R. Oh, and thank you, Adam, as well at the station. It has saved my hash innumerable times so far. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.